0: Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle and thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. You can also hit us up at patreon.com backslash Sonic At the uh, lowest level, you will get access to uh, early access for reviews as well as... um film festival short film block reviews such as the uh ones i did for the festival that i'll be covering today and at the upper levels among the things you will uh get are my oscar coverage which uh will be interesting to see what happens this year and uh other deep dives such as my uh lonesome dove main series uh discussion and uh the piece that i did on jackie chan's police story series back in july that is patreon.com backslash sonic cinema and i hope you choose to uh decide to subscribe on sunday the uh atlanta film festival wrapped up its 2020 edition and uh it was something that i desperately needed uh, more than I realized at the time that I started because the movie theater I've worked at for almost 18 years was shutting down for good uh, after we'd been open for a month. And uh, it, was, it was a bit of a surreal week because of that, but ultimately the film festival helped uh, keep my mind focused on the things that are important. And that's one of the things that I really came to appreciate about the Atlanta Film Festival this year. I I was really looking forward to my second straight Atlanta Film Festival when I was uh, confirmed to be covering it again this year back in March. I was disappointed when it got postponed from its original May uh, timeline, although completely understood, uh, given that that was the early time of the pandemic. And overjoyed when I found out they were going to try it in September after a few months delayed. The icing on the cake was when in August they announced that they were going to be doing a hybrid virtual and drive-in setting, uh, which, is, which was spectacular for me. I really got excited by that format. I've been uh, going to a few of the screens the uh, Plaza Theater has done as far as pop-up drive-in screenings at their parking lot as well as the parking lot for Dad's Garage, a uh, theater in Atlanta that has also been shut down from the pandemic. And I've really enjoyed those, and I was really looking forward to having those screenings to go to as the uh, festival moved on they added a third pop-up drive-in location at Pullman Rail Yard which uh, has been used for location shooting for movies like The Hunger Games as well as Baby Driver over the years and that afforded them an opportunity to do indoor uh, drive-in screens which was really cool. Uh, that was actually the place where my first screening of the festival was at, and I really enjoyed the atmosphere, the natural light. There was enough natural light and uh, just general lighting to make it an interesting experience, and I really enjoyed the environment. And I really enjoyed the relaxed nature of the festival because of the drive-in format. It was much something I kind of needed after um the virtual uh fantasia fest uh kind of wore me out and then uh going back to work for a few weeks and um that was that was something that i i really need and part of it came from not just the the relaxed notion of the festival because of the drive-in aspect uh the virtual aspect was i didn't do as much with that. i did take in a couple of the short film blocks that way as well as some of the uh films that were also available on uh virtual as well as in drive-in screenings to catch up there but um mostly i stuck to the drive-in screenings as far as mo- most of my uh most of my movies the atlanta film festival one of the things that occurred to me uh i think it was the monday of the atlanta film festival going into the week that um each each film festival i've been to this year i've been to three has its own personality uh and that's indicative not just of the experience and the environment that Uh, was built around each festival but the films themselves um and i think it was more pronounced with the atlanta film festival this year because this was my second year in a row covering it um the atlanta film festival uh the thing that i loved about the atlanta film festival was that i whether it's with regards to narratives or documentaries um especially in the features category the the films always seem to center on stories of personal growth and change or social issues that help us engage with a different community that is not our own and uh the the double feature movies that i watched on monday of this festival um the miseducation of bindu which was one of my favorite movies of the atlanta film festival as well as the Outside Story, which has a wonderful performance by Brian Tyree Henry, uh, they they really help snap this into focus, and i i really i really appreciate that this year, especially from the festival, but also snapped into focus why some of my favorite movies from last year's festival were uh, some of my favorite movies because they they touch on similar ideas, similar themes. And uh, similar types of stories. And that was that was certainly the case with a lot of the films at the festival. Not all. Uh, and certainly not in the short film categories where you have science fiction movies, you have uh, experimental films or midnight movies that touch into darker, more horror material. But a lot of the movies, by and large, uh, deal with these type of ideas. Um, like I said, there were a couple that don't, uh, this Sunday night screen that watched, uh, dead, dead by midnight, why to kill, which was a Georgia filmed production that, uh, played, I didn't really get too much into that. I, I hadn't seen the first one and the anthology aspects of it. There are some stories that are better than others, but they're, the stories that weren't that good weren't really not that good at all. Um and there was another thriller that I saw through Fantasia Fest called Climate of the Hunter that played the first Friday night. And uh that's that's an enjoyable one, but it's more of a genre offering. And so it didn't really fit in the same mold as a lot of the films I'm talking to when talking about when I talk about the personality of the atlanta film festival there were a couple of the uh panels that i took in this year which i didn't really do last year uh the first one was A Q&A with uh film composer evan hodges who is a fellow georgia state university alumnus um that was on the uh first saturday of the festival that i took that in and that was done virtually uh and then the uh was a discussion with uh, showrunner and writer Damon Lindelof uh, who co-created the Watchmen TV series, the Emmy Wing Watchmen TV series. And uh, that was on the second Thursday of the festival and that was really entertaining um, to watch and to hear him talk about his career, his um, evolution as a showrunner compared to... You know, when you compare Lost to Watchmen, uh, which Watchmen was filmed in Georgia, and actually the Plaza Theater, which is the uh, main hub of screening locations for the Atlanta Film Festival, is uh, shown in Watchmen as well as has been in other uh, movies as well, such as uh, Mike Flanagan's Doctor Sleep. So uh, keep, keep an eye on that. But those panels were entertaining. Uh that the, the thing is those those panels that they have at the uh Atlanta Film Festival and Creative Conference, which is the official uh festival name, uh those are more geared towards filmmakers and as I'm not really that interested in uh filmmaking now in terms of me doing it. Uh that's that's one of those things where it's like I'm I'm you know, I'm kind of inclined to, you know, not really take those in as much, but those panels that I took in I did want to and they were really entertaining. This 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 was probably the most consistent the most consistently strong collection of movies that I think I've had at a film festival this year. Um, all of the features that I saw, with the exception of Dead by Midnight, Y2Kill, which, again, I wasn't that high on, um, are really solid and strong movies uh, that deal with a lot of uh, important issues for the most part. And uh, that's true of whether it's the Jude Law and Carrie Coon movie, The Nest, which I reviewed via IFC screener, Um that played on the opening night of the festival or a documentary like John Lewis' Good Trouble about the late civil rights icon that played a couple of uh, special fundraising events on the final Saturday night of the festival and was one of the original selections for the festival when it was still going on in May, uh, but was available virtually um, if you wanted to check it out throughout the festival. I saw it at the... Uh, drive-in screening back in July, shortly before John Lewis passed away. Uh, The the thing that's really nice about the Atlanta Film Festival was the collection of it's a combination of narratives and documentaries, and that's one of the things I really appreciate about it. And there were some really terrific ones, and there were some really emotional ones as well. Uh, If this is the second festival in a row that I've cover that had feels good men as man as part of the festival um it's the story of the evolution of pepe the frog from an underground comic book character to an anti-semitic uh symbol of hate and if you haven't watched that yet i highly recommend it it is one of the very best political documentaries of the past few years and is absolutely must-see um overseas really crushed me. I saw it at via media screener before the festival, but was available virtually. It's a documentary about um women who are being trained to be overseas uh domestic workers, and you see the way that they are being trained to handle abuse that they may come into when it comes to their jobs. And that that part really broke my heart because of the fact that it's like there's no reason as a society that we should be treating anybody that way, especially somebody who is willing to go out of the country to take care of people that they don't know to try to build a life for... Their family, and there were scenes in that documentary that just broke my heart. One of my favorite documentaries of the festival was Sima Pamir. It's about a movie theater that was opened after reopened after the Taliban uh, fell in Afghanistan, and it follows the movie theater uh, workers as they're working through the political turmoil and just the anxieties of running a movie theater in general. And as somebody who's been in that position for the past 18 and a half years, going on 19 years, I I empathize so much with these people. You know, I'm not in, I've never been in a position the way they have been but some of the ways they have to deal with um the higher ups, the way some of the ways they have to deal with customers. I I understand all of that is so palpable. And it was one my it's it's one of the greatest love letters to the movie theater industry I think we've ever seen. And if you have a chance to see it, I cannot recommend it enough. Cinema Pimir was one of my favorites of the festival. One of the earlier movies that I watched in the festival was a, another documentary. It's a movie called In the Cold Dark Night, and it's the story of a, the murder of Timothy Coggins in Griffin, Georgia. And it's about two investigations into his death, one in 1940, 19- The other one in 2018, which was a reopened um, case. And it basically looks at the ways that the original case uh, played towards uh, typical, at that time, racial um, concerns and racial prejudice in how it was handled versus... Um the new one which doesn't necessarily uh isn't necessarily a who done it but a why done it. And that is that comes from one of the co-directors himself, Stephen Robert Morse, and I did an interview with him shortly before the film showed at the Atlanta Film Festival, and I hope you enjoy that interview now. What was the inspiration for you to uh to make this movie,
1: yeah. Look, my business partner Max Peltz and I—we're uh, we're looking to, you know, we always want to tackle big issues of our time. and uh, we view the racial problems in America as a as one of the big issues of our time. Mm-hmm. You know, previously, uh, in previous movies, you know, *Amanda Knox* was more about like women and how women are perceived by courts and. Then I did one called Euro Trump, which was about right wing politics. And then uh, you know, this was this was the next one after that. And uh yeah, Max and I are always looking for for big themes and big ideas. And uh it seemed, you know, at, at the start, we didn't know what this story would become, but it seems like many of the elements were there.
0: Was was there a particular reason that uh the the murder of Timothy Coggin's uh drew you to uh discussing this particular issue
1: so so i think it was just that um the it was it, we found it very interesting and you know for every lawyer i've talked to uh it is unusual and strange and 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 interesting that the case was opened 35 years later you know mm-hmm. after after the murder um and 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 it was also very, you know, odd and, and unconventional that it was opened without new DNA evidence. Because, you know, when I've talked to different lawyers, you know, they'll say, well, 99 percent of, of, of cold cases are reopened because of new DNA evidence. And there was no new DNA evidence in this case. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what uh, drew us to it. Yeah. Uh,
0: what were were there any particular challenges that you had in uh, in. Coming into this uh, story, were there any particular challenges you found in terms of uh, the perspective that you wanted to tell this story from?
1: You know, dare I say that that there were many, many people who were, were very cooperative. And I think that that's one of the really remarkable things about this story is that it's really a very 360 degree overview of this case. You know, it was. It was, you know, we had the sheriff's office involved, we had the GBI involved, we had the victim's family involved, we had the perpetrator's family involved, we had the lawyers on both sides, you know. So, so, Jerry, I say from a cooperation and collaboration perspective, I couldn't have asked for anything more. Um, but, but there were uh, many challenges because uh, that, that I guess were, we're just in terms of. Shaping the story and, and figuring out what the story was and things like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. It was more, you know, now there were so many facts and so many random things that we had to. Uh, you know, really distill what what we could put in the movie versus what we couldn't. You know, I'd say there were other threads that we wanted to take. There were other murders that we wanted to talk about uh, and other interesting things. But, you know, in the it they just kind of went a little outside the scope of this movie, which we wanted to focus on Tim. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What was probably, what was the most surprising thing for you when it came to, uh, what? or I, I guess I should say, what was the most surprising thing that you took out of this movie when it came to making it?
1: Um. Well, look, I guess I was, I was as surprised as anyone that the, I mean without giving it all away that the prosecution was able to get a guilty verdict um by even though they had fairly limited evidence right mm-hmm. i think that that's, that's for me fascinating um and i guess it shows i mean the pow- i mean it shows the power of 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 what uh i guess good i don't want to say theatrics but i would say good uh persuasive skills persuasion skills would, would do. So, and, and I think that the prosecutors in this case were very effective.
0: Were there any particular, uh, true crime, uh, documentaries? I mean, other than, uh, the ones that you've done yourself that you were sort of inspired by when it came to, uh, when, it, when it came to, uh, forming the blueprint for the film?
1: So I would say there wasn't a lot to go on. Because I'd say in most true crime stories, right, it's like a whodunit. Yeah. And then in this, you know, there's, there's, the, there's this very, you know, there's this interesting line that we've almost taken as a tagline for the movie called, it's not, it's not a whodunit, it's the why. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what, just apart from most films or TV series in the true crime genre um you know in mo- you know there's multiple suspects and you don't know the answer and you don't there's a lot of back and forth this wasn't really about that as much, which i mean from from that i that's why I think it was it was a special project for me at least you know it was mm-hmm. it was i hope that we were able to innovate a little bit on the traditional crime genre in this in this while also still telling a deep and compelling story
0: mm-hmm uh who who are are, are there any particular other uh, documentary filmmakers that you are, you find yourself inspired by?
1: Um, I find that, you know, people like Marshall Curry, uh, who, you know, he, he's, he's one of those people. He made this movie that inspired me years ago called street fight mm-hmm. about this election. It was about an election in New York, New Jersey. It was actually the election that brought Cory Booker to power. Um, that I would say that that film really kind of inspired me to get dirty and, you know, know that you, you just, all you need is a camera, really. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say that, that film isn't like, uh, isn't shot, you know, it's not like it's shot amazingly well, but it's just like he, he did such a great job of storytelling in it. Um, and he so he's definitely someone who I, I I respect a lot. And then there's obviously like the Ava DuVernay characters, you know, like, right, the world that she's created uh, especially with like the 13th, that are again these super big issues that um, that you know she was really able to make that she was able to take like an amendment to the constitution and make a full movie about it. It's,
2: mm-hmm. it's,
1: you know, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, what is uh after after plays in uh the Atlanta Film Festival? What's next for uh this movie? <laughs>
1: That's a really great question. Um, we would love to do it. The- so we've retained all theatrical rights to the movie in the U.S. Um, I don't know if you know this, but like a shortened version of it aired on ABC 2020. And that we kind of, you know, because of COVID, we had to do things in an opposite order of mm. what we would have loved to normally have done. You know, we would have loved to get this in movie theaters first. But, you know, especially today, right, where the movie theater, the whole business is shaky and, uh God, I I don't know what it will be. We'd still love to get it in theaters. Is yeah. I guess what I'm saying because we'd love for it to qualify um, is what we really wanted. You know, that was always our that was always our dream was to at least qualify it. You know, I'm not saying it's worthy or anything like that, but I'm saying you know we we always wanted to give it a run and we shot it for theater, right? We shot it in 4K. So mm-hmm. luckily at the Atlanta Film Festival, getting the first opportunity and probably one of the only opportunities to see what I think is a beautifully shot movie on on the big screen, how it was always intended to be seen as opposed to being on the small screen, which is, you know,
0: not, not as cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to, uh, I'm, I'm actually going to be at the screen tomorrow night. So I'm really looking forward to, uh, watching it on, oh, cool. in that format. So, uh, thank you very much for your time today.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for, and if you have any more questions or anything, you know, I'm,
0: one of the other documentaries that I really loved uh, in the movie, the, in the film festival, there weren't too many that I watched this year, but one of the ones I caught up with uh, near the end of the festival was Fandango at the Wall. And it's the story of musicians who look to bring uh, an old Mexican um, folk music to a concert that has played on both sides of the American Mexican uh, border wall at the where it is in uh, San Diego and Tijuana and that's that's just such an entertaining uh love letter to music to the way music can bring people together the way music can uh feed the soul and the way that uh Music is one of the great unifiers and I think having having documentaries like Fandango the Wall and Sima Pamir, uh, they both really speak to art the importance of art in the modern world. And I think that's something that we have a tendency to take for granted. Uh and, you know, speaking as a musician and a lover of film it 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 was really great to see documentaries that played up to that, and you know they they stand in contrast to a movie like in the cold dark night which uh which illuminates the worst of humanity by showing the best of what humanity is capable of in those two documentaries and uh it was it was really a great Uh, combination of subject matter it's it's really a strong collection of subject matter and uh social issues as well as taking us into different worlds that we didn't necessarily expect uh going in and so those those are uh fandango at the wall and cinema premiere were easily my two favorite documentaries um of the festival other than feels good man which is i cannot recommend enough and overseas which was just devastating and how powerful it was and in the cold dark night this was just a strong year for documentaries at the atlanta film festival all of them honestly were worth seeing in one way or the other the ones that i saw when it comes to dramatic films and uh scripted narratives there was a lot to really like um the the one that easily uh resonated with me the hardest though and it's the one it's honestly the best movie i saw at the festival was chris bailey's curtis it is the story of an older man who seems to be living on his own although we find out that he is living with his mother. His mother is trying to take care of him. Uh, but he has mental issues. He has... Uh, he, he suffered from schizophrenia. And uh, the one lasting memory of his earlier life is of his uh, performance in the SEA Championship that netted him a championship ring. And at the beginning of the movie, he loses that ring. And the rest of the movie... Is uh, him and a teenager on the basketball court near his house, uh, striking up an unusual bond as Dre tries to help him find his ring, and uh, it's it's a movie that I will never forget. It was such a powerful experience. It was such an emotional experience because you really empathize with. Curtis, and it's a movie that it it makes you really it makes you really think about the way we treat homeless people the people we see on the streets who seem like uh who are down on their luck who are struggling who um don't have as well as maybe we do and uh whether it's because of mental illness, whether it's because of financial circumstances. And it's it's a heartbreaking and personal story and Dwight Henry's performance as Curtis is uh one of the best of the festival. And uh if if you get a chance to see Curtis, whether it's at film festival, whether it's just in regular release or video on demand, I I cannot recommend it enough i it's something it they're entertaining moments it's not completely dark or bleak uh it's it's sad though and but sad in a way that i I think we all kind of need to be sad at a certain point this way because of um the way it makes us uh see people on the outskirts of humanity. And uh, it's it's something that if you're if you're an empathetic human person who uh, you know wants to understand people regardless of who they are, it's it's one that I cannot recommend enough. And I really hope it gets a, uh, I, I really hope it gets a release it deserves because it is a wonderful film. The my, probably my next favorite movie of the festival was The Miseducation of Bindu. Uh, it's the story of a 15 year old Indian girl who is constantly bullied uh, at her high school, and she's trying to basically test out of all of her classes so she doesn't have to go to high school anymore. The problem is uh she there's a fee that's due for the last test and she has to rely on her classmates to get her out of school uh the the screenplay by uh director parthana excuse me mohan and uh Kay tuxford is absolutely wonderfully structured it all takes place in the course of a day but feels like there's a wealth and four years of high school experiences that take place during this day and is just wonderfully paced and wonderfully entertaining. It's very much a comedy, even though there is there is a degree of drama to it in some of the ways that Bindu is bullied, but it's ultimately intended as an uplifting comedy, and it is because of the performance by Megan Surrey. Who is absolutely wonderful in this movie. And it's one of my favorite performances of the year. And this is another one that I I think sort of like eighth grade. It's gonna find an audience and it's gonna find an inviting audience. And it would not surprise me if Megan Surrey becomes a bigger star afterwards. It is a wonderful movie. And uh she 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 brings a lot to the film, and it's just terrific. Uh, probably one of the other movies that I, I respond strongly to was The Killing of Two Lovers, uh, which has Clayne Crawford, who was on, Martin Riggs on the Lethal Weapon TV show. He, his is another great performance, and he plays in a father and husband who is trying to keep his family together, while he and his wife are separated and it's it's a very powerful drama and it follows him all the way through i had an interview with the uh writer that is now online on the youtube channel as well as uh post on the review it's uh well worth checking out um the killing of two lovers is a terrific film um, also, as far as the smaller independent films, Black Conflux, uh, by Nicole Dorsey, it's an interesting take on a uh, on a coming of age film because it the two people coming of age are a fifteen year old girl and a twenty something I think twenty something uh, guy who is very introverted. And the way that their stories connect is very tenuous and it almost feels like you're watching two movies for the most part, but ultimately leads to the same part. And the the performances by um, Ella Ballantine and Ryan McDonald in those roles is what sells it. Um, I had a chance to talk to uh, Nicole Dorsey about it. You can find that interview online. If if comedy is something that you're more interested in, uh, Joshua Leonard's fully realized humans was a uh, pretty entertaining one. I uh, in it he and his character and his wife go on this almost spiritual journey as they're a month out from the birth of their first children child, and it's just. You know, it's kind of wacky in a lot of cases, but also is grounded in emotions. Um, I have an interview with Joshua Leonard uh, about that one. That was really fun to talk to him about as well. And uh, I I hope you enjoy that. Check that out on the review and on the Song Sim Up uh, podcast YouTube channel. Uh, there was one more interview that I did uh, for the... For the uh Atlanta Film Festival, and it was in regards to a short film called Homecoming, is part of the uh Noir section of the festival. And uh it's it's the story of a young man who works at a mortuary with his father and goes out for a night with uh one of his best friends, and he starts to um Even though he dreams about getting out on his own and being in a different uh, situation and getting away from his father's work, the events of that night are going to maybe at least uh, bring him back to realizing that that's maybe the place where he needs to be right now. I had a chance to uh, talk to that film's director, Carlton Daniel Jr., uh, after watching it, and here is that interview. Where did the inspiration for the film come from? So,
2: I wrote this film uh, after actually working uh, for, for years in a funeral home myself. It was my very first job um, when I was like in high school. Um, and you know, I was really inspired by the family who owned the business. I was inspired by the people who were coming in uh grieving their loved ones and uh, I really wanted to write about my experience and the things that I saw it while I was there.
0: One of the things that's interesting about this, I think, is the fact that um we we see the film from the perspective of Junior in this movie, and it's One of the more interesting ideas in the movie is the idea that he, you know, he wants to go, he he wants to do something more than just run the mortuary that his father's run. And uh, normally it's like you would normally you you think about that in terms of characters and the movie or TV or just in general and think, well, that's that's a good thing. That's a good thing to be able to branch out, but as the story progresses in this case, you know, maybe he, he sort of gets the idea that, you know, maybe that's not quite where he needs to be at this point.
2: Right. Uh, is there a question?
0: Oh, uh, <clears throat> let's see. Um, what, what, uh, I, I guess, so. one of the things that I, I would, was, uh, curious is what, um, what inspired the? Uh, what sort of inspired the narrative arc that we go on with Junior?
2: Oh, okay, gotcha. I mean, you know, that's really that—that's a great question. I think. Um, so at the heart of it, the story is about grief. Um, uh, Homegoing is about a young man, a mortician's son, who's balancing those expectations of working at his father's funeral home. And having a night out with his friends and, and just being a young black man in America. Mm-hmm. And when grief intrudes on some of his own closest relationships, uh, you know, he has a whole different outlook on life in the world. I mean, it's kind of like a coming of age story for him.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, because, you know, the entire time of the story, you know, if you're dealing with grief from a very, uh, from like a very business perspective, you know. You know, he's almost desensitized to like the death he sees because he sees it every day at work. It's mm-hmm. his job, um, so I think it hits him very differently when he he's experiencing this grief for the first time on a very personal level with like someone he's with one of his friendships, and ultimately someone that he feels deeper for in in ways that go beyond friendship. Um, so you know, it it's just about the story. I wanted to showcase and highlight um, the beauty of friendship, um the beauty of um black men and being vulnerable with each other and having that softness and showing that intimacy and in and, and showing uh, authentic uh relationships in in a much deeper sense that we really get to see um black men in in like multidimensional ways in this way mm-hmm. on television and film.
0: Yeah, and and uh one of the uh more interesting little things and it's it's not necessarily something that it it it's not necess- it's something very subtle in the movie uh when it comes to the conversation between junior and Meach in the uh car is this compare and this contrasting <coughs> notion of sort of <coughs> how Meech looks at sort of his legacy that his father brought to him while compared to juniors, where it's like you you have this different dynamic where Meach is, <clears throat> is and it almost in a way it almost um it i feel like it almost uh what am I trying to say? Uh, I, I feel like it almost informs where the it completely informs where these characters are gonna head throughout the short. Was that a uh, was that a conscious decision when it came to writing the movie that you uh, have this idea of things that fathers passes pass down on us, and uh, you know, just sort of the different ways that we can react to that
2: yeah that's a great question. um I mean the thing about you know funeral homes black funeral homes in particular is that they're they're very unique in the sense that they're businesses that are passed down from generation to generation um they're businesses that are not beholden to white power structures, which is very rare um in our communities uh so it's a very rare and special gift to actually have a business that's being passed down to you mm-hmm. um and I don't think Junior really realizes that initially at the very beginning of the story. And it's not till the end that I think he gains a deep appreciation for that. And I think you can see the divide and you can see, you can see how the racial wealth gap affects Americans because even with the other character, Malik, he's saying, you know, the only thing my father left me was debt. Yeah. Um, and that's a very real thing. A lot of black families do not have businesses to pass down. They don't even have homes to pass down. To their to their families. Sometimes it is only debt. Um, so it, it's it's a critique on the the racial wealth gap in America and how it affects our communities and how it uh, it really influences the things that happen in our communities. Um, and so I wanted to showcase this family that actually has a business uh, that that's being passed down to junior and, and what that means and the power behind that.
0: Mm-hmm i i I really like the uh contrasting opening and closing shots of the movie where you have this this very um <clears throat> where you have this very symmetrical uh structure of the movie where you start out with the uh three friends together and as, as well as a shot scene of uh junior in the funeral home and then you have uh you have the friends together again as well with uh another scene of junior in the funeral home with uh but it carries a different weight given what happened in the uh in in the narrative in the middle and i really i really like that uh that sort of symbolism and structure that uh the film carries
2: Oh thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. That means a lot. It's definitely something we strive for. Um symmetrical family compositions, solid depth the field, bright colors. Um those are all, all some of the aesthetics that we were going for when we sought this.
0: hmm Uh what's uh what's after it uh it was part of the Atlanta Film Festival, what is uh Next for home going going forward.
2: Uh we have some more festivals going forward, but we can't announce them uh, just yet. I, I can't. I have to wait for the festival to give me to go. But uh, there will be more festivals coming in the near future. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry.
0: No, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, well, thank you very much for your time today. I really, uh, I really appreciate it, and I really. I really like the. Uh, I really, I really got a lot of the film. Thank you very much for. Um, I appreciate uh, Daniel for uh, pointing me in its direction.
2: Yeah, and thank you, Brian. I really, really appreciate you even taking the time to watch the film and, and hopefully, I, I look forward to reading what you write about it. And thank you so much. I, I appreciate you doing this because, uh, you know, uh, the work you're doing is is also a huge benefit and to me and getting more people to watch the film and getting into more bigger festivals. So Mm -hmm. the work you do is extremely helpful. I'm very grateful for for you as well. So
0: thank Thank
2: you. you. And uh, absolutely. You have a great rest of your day.
0: You too. Okay.
2: Okay. Take care.
0: Bye-bye. So that's it for this episode of the uh, Sonic Cinema podcast. I could go on. I could talk about the Glorias, about uh, Gloria Steinem. I could talk about Sylvie's love, um, the outside story, uh, some kind of heaven, and uh, many others. But honestly, you can read or hear the reviews uh, that I talk about with regards to all of the films. And uh, I, I would appreciate if you do that as well as check out the interviews they did with these filmmakers. It was a pleasure to talk to all of them and be able to get perspective on their way of thinking when it came to the movies and the stories that they were telling. Uh, There were a few more that obviously I would have liked to have been able to talk to, but unfortunately that may, may maybe another time, but uh, for now that's it for this year's Atlanta Film Festival. I look forward to being back in twenty twenty one. Uh maybe with some more uh, maybe with some actual uh screens at the plaza again in, indoors as opposed to drive in, but I do kind of hope they keep the drive in format because I did really enjoy it a great deal. I hope they uh try to work that in. Um to the future of the Atlanta Film Festival. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle. I've got another one coming up pretty quick here for the uh, <coughs> Sonic Cinema Podcast. I've got another one for with a filmmaker that I actually met at the Women in Horror Film Festival. Their film uh, played there, and I absolutely loved it. And we become friends after that. And uh, now I am uh, pleased to announce that I'm pleased that she, her film is going to be playing at the Salem Horror Fest this month. And I highly recommend you check it out. But that is for that podcast. And that will be released on the uh, Tuesday after this one. And that's it for this episode of the Sonic Cinema podcast. Thank you very much is brian scuttle uh ch- subscribe to the sonic cinema podcast youtube channel subscribe to the sonic cinema podcast on google i apple spotify and uh wherever you listen to podcasts and also check us out at patreon.com backslash sonic cinema thank you very much and this is brian scuttle for www.sonic-cinema.com Ooh. Mm-hmm.